Hello, and welcome to episode 341 of the Crate and Crowbar, a PC gaming podcast recorded on the 24th of August 2020. I'm Marsh Davis, and I'm joined this evening by treasure-hunting troglodyte Tom Francis. <laughs> Hello. And grotto grubber Graham Smith. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Happy Spelunky Week. Thank you. A game we shall um, discuss, possibly the only game we will ever discuss again, judging by its predecessor's <laughs> airtime. <laughs> Um, but um, only after we've talked about the very exciting news this week, possibly alarming news, that Bethesda, or rather its parent company, uh, Zenimax Media, was acquired by Microsoft for a huge sum of money. What do you make of that? I think Probably... it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's oh, what I was going to well... say. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was actually thinking, like, Maybe two weeks ago, like, oh, I bet Microsoft really want to buy Bethesda. Really? <laughs> yeah, because you look at their slate of games, and they've mostly bought mid-tier studios over the last two years, What they, like Ninja Theory, NXL, Obsidian, yeah. um, Double Fine, all these studios they announced the purchase of over the last couple of years. Whereas you compare that to... Um, to Sony, who obviously go for just prestige, prestige everything... Microsoft sort of felt like, well, Bethesda's sort of like the like the king of mid tier, isn't it? <laughs> like, <laughs> like they they make they make they're not you wouldn't describe Elder Scrolls or Fallout as prestige in any way, given how janky they are, but they are just phenomenally popular, far larger than than anything else, I think, in Microsoft's stable. Um, well, yeah, I mean, they get twelve studios. Uh, as part wow. of this deal, which is you know well, a huge that, acquisition. There's that as well, um, yeah, and it does sort of seem like if you know you just you want a diversity of games in order to get um, to get people to to stay signed up to a service, but you probably also just want new things in order to get people signed up in the first place. And it feels like you know a, a big trove of PC gamers will sign up if you make. Dishonored 3 or whatever and put it on Game Pass uh, and that's the thing that I imagine they're going to do now yeah I think they um, they said something like all first party games are on going to be on Game Pass and so does if they acquire once they acquire a company is that first party now I guess it is right I would think so yeah yeah so that means yeah. Elder Scrolls 6 for Included in your sub, <laughs> which is a weird thought. Seven point five billion. That seems uh, it's a lot of money, but it is, do you think that's? I think I think that's actually quite good value for Microsoft as like an upfront cost. Obviously, there's a huge ongoing upkeep, um, but like as a just a initial outlay, seven point five billion for twelve studios and one quite massive publishing operation. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen to the actual publishing arm of Bethesda. Will it just get rolled into Microsoft Game Studios, or will it exist as a sort of like a sub brand? They said actually that they were going to keep it. I think oh. um, whether they, you know, whether they keep every part of it in actuality yeah. and every person that actually works there, but they said that that <laughs> the publishing wing was going to keep running as its own concern, um, and they were going to be kind of hands off with Bethesda as a or Cinemax or whatever as a as a whole. Mm. Um, well, they, they they always say that they always that's the line, <laughs> isn't it? Oh yeah, well you know we want to keep them autonomous, you know, have their own creativity and yeah, all this. Does it ever happen? Does it ever happen? I don't know. 
I'm sure all the games are going to have HoloLens support and Bing <laughs> integration yeah. and, oh God, I've already forgotten the name of their streaming service. Mixer. That they shut down Mixer, that's it. Mm, yes, I have uh, I have some memories about that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just thought I'd mention, by comparison, Netflix uh, spent uh, $17.3 billion on new programming in 2020 alone. Uh, just to give you a like, I mean, just a... And obviously, it's not a comparable. I mean, it's, it's more or less the same model for their games that they're going for for now. But I mean, it's a it's a different end game, I think, for Microsoft. Netflix just wants to sell telly, whereas Microsoft are. I mean, it's not just about being the Netflix of games for them. About it's about onboarding people into their universal authentication and commerce system, and they're forcing you to imbibe their product multiverse. <laughs> you know, so that it can be in part of every part of your lives, and hopefully, gambling that the U.S. government will not uh, hit them with another antitrust lawsuit, which they they probably will richly deserve. <laughs> well, I was looking this up, and I think Netflix currently have around twenty one billion in debt, uh, and and that seems like a major difference as well because Microsoft just I think they paid in cash <laughs> for Bethesda. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, uh, I think their current market cap is something like 1.5 trillion. Um, oh my God. Yeah, is- this, is, this is the thing. It's not really... Uh, in, when Microsoft spends money, it's not so that they then uh, uh, get that money back uh, straight away. Like, I mean, this is the difference between Netflix and Microsoft's model is Netflix, apparently, they uh, amortize uh, their, <laughs> their spending um, over a period of four years. So whatever they spend on a program, they earn it back, apparently, in, in about four years' time. Now, over time, apparently, that, that period in time in which they earn their money back is getting longer and longer, and they're spending more and more, which is worrying for Netflix's future business model. But when it comes to Microsoft, it doesn't really matter about, you know, I mean, the, when they paid the money for Mojang, for example, they weren't expecting to get uh, $3 billion or whatever it was back in their pockets. They're just trying to earn more from that owning that business than they would earn from the interest of that money just sitting in a bank vault somewhere um and then that that is that still makes good business sense right right because it's still worth that money they could potentially sell it as well exactly yeah hmm. yeah yeah i hadn't thought about it like that but um yeah i i i, I worry about it i think um I mean, in the short term, everybody seems really positive about Games Pass, and it is it is um, ridiculous value because it's a huge loss leader for for Microsoft. Um, but I think ultimately, we know it would be good for nobody but Microsoft. Surely, <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, it, their plan must be to secure this audience and then starve anyone outside of their ecosystem, whether that's competitor, developer, or customer. And then when they have a sufficient lead, then there'll be no business incentive for them to continue providing that good value to their customers or even to their developers and business partners. And that's not like because Microsoft specifically is evil and it's not a unique dig at Microsoft, although I have plenty of those. It's just that that's how how monopolies work, you know? I mean, I don't see uh, another end game for this, which which is of benefit to the industry or customers more widely in like... 5, 10, 15 years. Maybe I'm wrong, though. It's also, even yeah. even aside from Game Pass, isn't consolidation just bad 
for creativity and risk taking. <laughs> like you know, everyone on Twitter yeah. was sort of cheering at the prospect that now Bethesda and Obsidian are on, both owned by Microsoft, and so maybe some for some reason Obsidian could now do Fallout New Vegas too. And like Obsidian just released Grounded and the Outer Worlds, both of which are their own new IP. And if I worked there <laughs> and the people of the internet were like chanting for us to go back and work on <laughs> someone else's license, I don't know. It feels like the like the internet chanting to lower me into a vat of acid. Like surely <laughs> surely the surely the work for hire other people's IP thing was the thing that we had to do in order to get to a point of financial independence so that we could pursue our own exciting projects rather than just make other people's things. And like the nightmare scenario was surely that you get turned into a fallout factory and then that's it. That's all you're ever mm. going to do from now on. Well, I don't know that any acquired, I mean, have there been any long lived acquired studio in this way, which has really retained its identity and remained a happy place? <laughs> <laughs> Like, I don't know that that's, that's happened in the history of the games industry. And it's like, I mean, and again, not to specifically pick on Microsoft here, uh, uh, but like acquisition of this sort is always extremely tricky because you are, you know, as a creative business, suddenly you're forced to incorporate the completely orthogonal business needs of the larger company uh, into your creative process. And and this is a specific problem for Microsoft because Microsoft is is like fucking huge in comparison to nearly any other uh, operation and so it has just a huge diversity of business interests and when you're part of that ecosystem suddenly you find that all of these diverse business interests may see you as a way of making them look better at their job and so <laughs> you know I mean, and this this can work in good ways and bad ways i mean microsoft has huge resources and technologies that can then be put at the acquired company's disposal like you know uh, like a lot of i imagine they'll all start using azure uh, cloud, whatever it is, at a at a reduced rate, and 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 that that part of the process will be smoother to them. But as you as you mentioned earlier, you know, there's there's lots of frankly disastrous projects at Microsoft as well, like Mixer, and um, there are no shortage of fairly desperate middle managers who will try and make you suck those down as part of their doomed attempt to resuscitate them. And um, I don't know. I mean. Yeah, I, as being sort of like in the center of that, uh, it's more or less impossible just from a time management sanity perspective of to to assess which of those parts of Microsoft to adopt or resist, you know, as your mid-project. And the result is that just more and more of your time is spent trying to stop people from constantly changing your plans, you know, rather than just enacting those plans. And that I think that can turn into hostility and demoralization and so forth and again that's just that's just generally how acquired game developers seem to go not not specifically at microsoft although i think microsoft does have more of a problem with like having a, a very rapid turnover in its it's this sort of t tier of middle managers who are who don't have really any incentives other than to further the business interests of their own little fiefdom within the company and then move on and that I think there's a sort of epidemic, or there was at least an epidemic of short-term thinking um, at Microsoft, which causes a huge, you know, exhausting number of political battles, which then have quite devastating medium or long-term consequences that, that those responsible never have to face because they you know, made a graph look good and got a promotion. But um, 
yeah, I don't. I, I mean, it's not all. It's not all unique to Microsoft. Those are just, uh, and there's lots of brilliant people who work there too. I just think uh, when you get a business of a certain size eating others, then these problems become become quite um, pronounced. So you know, enjoy that, Bethesda. You you almost make it. <laughs> you almost make it sound pre- preferable to be bought by EA because at least they're just a <laughs> games company and they're not going to force quite so many other technology technologies and initiatives into your project you know yeah well i yeah it, it depends i mean I, I think the 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 microsoft games group is quite powerful as a as a group within microsoft now so it can probably resist certain things but there's still going to be pressure for you to just as as a as a team start using um, the Microsoft's various productivity software, and you know, you've got to suddenly you've got to switch to their email system. You suddenly got to switch to to Microsoft Teams, you know, um, which which was Skype for business in my day, which was an absolute piece of shit, uh, never worked. Um, and just just suddenly adopting their sort of ecosystem of tools by itself is a huge kind of drain um, on mm. on your resources as a kind of creative mm. studio. So there's all these kind of problems to handle. Um, I think Bethesda's probably got enough clout that it can fight its fight its own corner for for at least a while. <laughs> my my company is s- slowly transitioning us away from the Google suite of tools towards Microsoft Office three six five and Microsoft oh, no. Outlook and Teams and so on. So it's it's not just it's not just by joining Microsoft that you get sucked into their ecosystem, unfortunately. <laughs> of course, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So cool times. Cool times. You've been in caves. Tell me about the caves. I haven't been uh, I have been playing Spelunky 2. I don't have a PS4. But you have. I do. Yeah. <laughs> um uh yeah, this has been uh a thing I've been looking forward to for a long time and I think we had probably all made our peace with it being basically more spelunky like it it's, it was pretty clear from everything they'd shown that um this wasn't like let's turn it on its head let's do let's let's you know finally fix this stupid broken game there <laughs> um, <laughs> was much more it i mean when it was first announced the fresh was like was kind of like why <laughs> do you like what what is it that you think needs fixing about spelunky one um and uh, the answers are quite weird to those questions. I'm quite uh, surprised by some of the things they fix. And my overall impression is basically that it's it definitely feels like it's built for people who are had got to the point where they found Spelunky one boringly easy, like they just internalized everything and it was trivial. And they and <laughs> Spelunky two tries to uh, at every oh, turn like shake you out of that and and um, Fuck you, basically, for <laughs> for thinking in Splunky one terms, and uh, provide you with elements that that are just completely outside of the the way that Splunky one functions, um, especially in the in the realm of threats like that. In fact, that seems to be sort of eighty percent of of what's been added is just more things that kill you rather than things that you can use and <laughs> and uh, benefit from. Um, and uh, let's not beat around the bush i'm talking about moles <laughs> i like the moles i think the moles oh are... my god <laughs> i'm leaving <laughs> i'm done see my my feeling was that 
I, I thought it was going to be much more different than Spelunky 1 than it actually is. Like, I was expecting it to be, like... Well, because it's on the moon now. <laughs> so I was like... <laughs> <laughs> so but didn't you like, see, like... Like, it's all the same worlds, but with slightly different tints in most cases? <laughs> yeah, I hadn't... I guess maybe I just hadn't been paying that close attention to the pre-release trailers and stuff. But I didn't... Like, I didn't realise the moon was going to have mains in it and all of the same frogs and spiders and and bats <laughs> as the base game but now with like two new enemies and some mounts like i didn't realize that that's what the moon was about was about turkeys <laughs> um but I, like and the moles are kind of uh, are emblematic in some way of of what the game's turned out to be which is yeah that thing of taking the formula as it was before and just prodding at it a little bit and the moles what they do is they tunnel around in the ground underneath you and they pop out try and pop out directly underneath you if you can charge around a bit and then go back underground and so they kind of force you to keep moving you can't take your time quite as much as you could do before in the mines because it's not just the ghost that's going to chase you on you're the the floor itself has an enemy within it that's going to pop out if you don't move from that area to somewhere else, and that's clever. Like that's that's an elegant thing. That's but, yeah. They um, uh, the comparison to Ghost is apt. That's I had the same thought, which is like this is just like there's a ghost always on the level now, <laughs> and how how many ghosts are on this level is obviously random. You know, there are some levels that are no moles at all, um, but if there's a level with like three moles, just well, I'm just going to be running the whole fucking time now. Um, and I think they bother me. So uh, there's a lot of just like basic things like when I want to shop, I want to decide what to buy. And I'm standing in a shop and fucking mole comes out of the ceiling <laughs> and starts attacking me. And I can't deal with it properly because I'm right in front of a shopkeeper. So if I do anything that, that pisses them off, I'm going to be murdered. Um, and then just not having time to stop and think and not having time to like plan my approach to the situation. That was a part of the Splunky formula I did not want changed because uh, that's kind of core to me is I need to be able to look ahead at the threats I'm facing, um, figure out a plan, which is why this procedural generation is is um, so valuable to it, is that I'm having to think up a new solution that I might not have used before um, and then try and execute it. And then because it's a very sort of uh, finicky or demanding um, precise platformer, uh, you know, often screwing up some part of that plan, sometimes because of execution and sometimes because I didn't quite think it through enough, uh, or some up third element comes in from nowhere. Um, but with moles, I can't even make that plan because while I'm standing there, the thing is just bouncing up beneath my feet and, and I'm losing three <laughs> health to it before I've had a chance to even like look ahead at what I'm doing. And then I'm obviously rushing ahead into the, the traps and stuff. And as soon as you're rushing a Splunky level, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'd, I'd been... The th- I'd been playing Splunky, well, I mean, I'd been playing Splunky like nonstop basically for 12 years, and but I'd gone back to it during lockdown. I can't remember if I've spoken about this in the pod since I started reappearing on it, um, but I've been playing the daily every day in the lockdown. And that, obviously quite good practice for Splunky too. But the thing I kind of had forgotten that used to be part of Splunky is that feeling of the unknown of going into an area and just not having any idea what any of the things I was looking at on screen actually did and inevitably dying to it instantly because it's a brand new world and not knowing where the edges of that world was because even though I haven't 
personally got reached every secret and spunky one or anything like that it's been so thoroughly mined by the community um that it just feels known and like spunky too to me like just take i'm, I'm I basically i, I love it <laughs> is what i'm saying is everything i'm going to say about this game is going to be positive i think uh, but just to, taking splunky one formula and just remixing it that little bit that it feels new it feels exciting it feels unknown so just on those terms i think the moles work how do you feel now that you played it a bit more about the mounts uh i'm definitely using those more um i was avoiding them at first because they changed the game's controls significantly and i just couldn't i was already struggling to deal with you know basic um uh traversal and stuff so having uh a different definition of what up does <laughs> was <laughs> too much i still find them um i mean obviously just like the fact that they can take a hit for you and you can um uh in the case of a turkey it's like a free cape so you can drift down onto spikes and stuff that's really useful a lot of their drawbacks are just thing. They're not sort of. Um, they're just awkward. Like you cut. You can carry things when you're on a mount, but you can't pick things up. So you have to get off the mount, then pick something up, then get back on the mount. And you can't climb ladders and just all those little things that mostly for controls reasons you can't do. Um, kind of make them. I, I sometimes don't take a mount just because of the hassle, like not because it won't be good for me, but just because, <laughs> oh God, I'm going to have to like keep getting on and off and uh, to deal with this stuff, which is already, that's already somewhat true in Splunky in general in that like, you know, you're carrying a shotgun you come across a pug. Uh, sometimes I don't pick it up just because it's going to be a pain in the ass to keep picking up the pug and dropping the shotgun and vice versa to mm. <laughs> every few inches. I, I, I have the same thing as you and I, I find them awkward enough. I'm not good enough at using them yet. I feel like it's a skill thing that I'm going to get better at manipulating its its double jump and its drift and stuff like that and the fact that it can take a hit for you is does seem really valuable i do find myself a lot of the time just whipping them and then picking them up and carrying them in my arms <laughs> rather than riding on their back um because there are things you can do with them like if you if you bomb a turkey it turns into a an edible turkey a roast turkey that you, you get <laughs> a health turkey. point from yeah <laughs> food turkey uh, um or or a uh, yang is collecting them and so if you give two of them or however many there are in a level i think it's usually two that are, are yeah. flapping around loose if you give him both of them then he gives you a key which sometimes gives you a useful reward um my first encounter with him was um completely baffling because I, I run into him and it's a guy standing in the level and you, as soon as you walk up and he says, hey, I'm looking for turkeys. Can you help? And immediately below him is like a thin platform and then a turkey. So I go down there, I get on the turkey and I, <laughs> I tame it and then I bring it back up to him and he's like, thief! And then goes crazy and starts shooting me. <laughs> Turns out that one is his turkey and it's the other turkeys you spring to him. <laughs> yeah, that's his turkey cage. <laughs> it's also the first, the first time... I didn't realize the treasure that he gives that is in his little cage or whatever is different every time. And so the first time he was just mm. like, oh, can you, can you help me collect my turkeys? And I did that and he gave me a key and it was just a guy <laughs> that was inside. That was his treasure. <laughs> it was just one of the, <laughs> one of the people when I was there. Eh, That's disturbing. <laughs> this is what you call your treasure. The helping, Doesn't the he helping. say something like "help yourself to my treasure" or something? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is really <laughs> dodgy in context. Uh, Half naked man. <laughs> um, the, and the, like the helping, the helping hands are more useful now than they were in Spelunky One. Like the, in Spelunky One, I would just, 
avoid them or immediately kill them because otherwise they were going to kill me. Now, they mm. sometimes do still kill me, um, but they are much better at navigating the world and dealing with threats now, uh, which is cool. The downside, though, is that the shopkeepers are also much better. Shopkeepers can climb ladders now and climb oh, really? ropes that you place and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so they're much better at just hunting you down, essentially. They're still not 100% perfect at it or anything. Um, but I've run afoul of that a few times. I haven't intentionally robbed any shops in Spelunky 2. I've, I've done it by accident sometimes. And um, uh, sometimes it's just happened. <laughs> like someone else has, has caused some kind of issue and I'm, I'm on the hook for it again. Um, I, I do love the um, continuing vein of environmental storytelling, like uh, dynamically generated environmental storytelling where you just like... Uh, in the jungle come across like a, a pitch plant going back and forth and next to it is a four-leaf clover <laughs> and if you know uh enough about the jungle you know oh there was a leprechaun here at one point <laughs> and now it's inside the pitcher plant because <laughs> that's what they drop i was thinking of that because uh that also happened with a um a shop there's a i'm not sure what the sort of general term for them are but the sort of challenge shops where you pay to to go into like a back room and then um uh mine out as much as you can with a pickaxe or uh, um, or there's another one about lighting torches and i came across one of those where the lady who runs that um that challenge thing was dead on the ground and there were across from her there were these like a bunch of objects layered on top of each other and they're kind of blue and green and i thought i recognized um the blue as being part of the like arrows that you get with a bow you can get like a crossbow now and, and that fires like a it has it comes with a certain kind of arrow that's different to a dart trap arrow and it was that but the tip is was green and i think they are poison arrows i think that lady has a bow with poison arrows so now i'm kind of curious to um actually thinking about it her bow wasn't there i wonder why her bow wasn't there because hmm. something killed her and she also fired some arrows at it and i guess the arrows didn't hit because they were intact and on the ground um oh maybe it was like a um if there was a humanoid like a caveman or something it, it would just because they pick things up now, right? They just pick whatever yeah. they find up. Yeah, that is cool that you've just come across a caveman carrying a pug sometimes, just walking mm. around. <laughs> um, and they'll ride turkeys too. There are, there's, uh, I don't want to spoil too much about the later levels or anything like that, but there is an enemy later on which can have crates on its back, including yeah. explosive crates. <laughs> uh, and I have died to that many times. Um but I, I have tried robbing the shopkeepers a couple of times. Um, and the thing that I've discovered, which is the world's most heartbreaking thing, is that if if you throw a bomb in to a shop that has a jetpack inside, which is obviously the greatest reason to rob any shop, but if it's mm. got a jetpack, um, bombs can destroy jetpacks now. Oh, no. <laughs> um, I thought you were going to say something about like the poor shopkeeper you're murdering or something about his like, <laughs> <yeah>. backstory. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, it's where you successfully murder him and survive. Like, yes, I did it. And you go in and all the other items are there, but the jetpack's gone. And it's because I, I, I guess jetpacks have fuel that is combustible. Um, so yeah, that, that does make sense. Couple, yeah, that and a couple of the other sort of similar-ish items that are newly introduced for Spelunky 2 can all explode, essentially. Have you used the power pack? Yes. Does it? just make you fire weapons faster is that the only thing it does um so for your whip at least it adds a fire effect to it which means it's now like a real attack you know your whip is this weird fake attack normally where it can do damage but only if the person's conscious at the time 
And once they're unconscious, it can't do damage while they're asleep. But normal weapons can do that. Like a machete can damage someone who's unconscious. And with a fire whip, A, it does that. B, fire, you could, if you whip a turkey with that, you'll make it a cooked turkey. Um, and in the jungle, there are more uh, things that trigger off fire, as fire is especially useful in the jungle. Um, and you can do things like relight torches and um, hmm. stuff like that. But it also, it makes your bombs enormous. Like they will, their blast radius is like more than doubled, I think. Just destroys a whole chunk of the level. Um, and I, what I haven't done though is, is like, I haven't had like a shotgun with it or a machete with it and seen, you know, if it affects every weapon differently. So the only time I had it, I was carrying a shotgun. And so I never used my whip or my oh, bombs. Nice. And as far as I can tell, it just increased my firing rate with the shotgun. Right, so I could shoot more often, um, which was, was great. Like if that was the only thing it did, I was like, oh, sweet. Um, <laughs> but now I kind of wish I'd thrown a bomb or whipped something. Yeah, that'd be a nasty surprise the first time you do it, I guess. <laughs> like you place a bomb in some carefully calculated position and realize it's going to be double the blast radius. <laughs> have you used the hover pack at all? Uh, yeah, I did have that once. That felt very weird because it, it just sort of locks you in space, doesn't it? Or locks you vertically in space and then you can just drift around at will. Yeah, and there are like secrets and things that seem like they would it would be useful to have that for. But otherwise, it's a really awkward way to get around. Like obviously, mm. you think, okay, cool, I can cross spike tra- traps without um, you know falling into them on the jungle level. But there are so many different enemies <laughs> that attack you in the air. And, of, and sometimes yeah. t- attack horizontally across the screen that being fixed at a particular height and moving relatively slowly uh, it does not feel safe in any way I'd much rather have an arc <laughs> to my movement rather than just move right, yeah. how do you feel about the branching worlds because that's one of the big differences is that like after world one you get to choose which world two you go to and then that keeps happening at various intervals in the game you sort of um, get to decide how's that working out I really like that actually. I didn't at first when I heard about that, I didn't really care. I didn't. I didn't get it. I don't <laughs> think. Um, but now that I'm playing it, there are definitely times when, particularly like using the shortcuts, that because you know you still instead of Tunnel Man, you've now got Tunnel Mama, um, who can you can give items to open shortcuts up, but the shortcut goes to just before you make the decision of which world two you want to go to or which world three and so on. Um, and so I will just be playing the same world two over and over and over again. And it is, it is nice to have the variety of being able to go, you know what, I've died on this one six times now. I'm going to switch over and try the other one. Um, that makes yeah. a big difference. I actually, I really wish it would go a step further and sort of integrate that better into the the general flow of dying and retrying. Like I wish just from the death screen, I could just sort of pick which world I want to retry from mm. rather than right now you need to quit back to main menu, then start adventure, then select a character, then go into the world, then move around the world and go to the tunnel shortcut you want, go through that, go into a level that's actually a transitionary level and then walk across that transitionary level to the exit you want to go into and then go into it and then you're in the world you actually want to play. It seems absurdly like convoluted for, um, you know, the quick restart thing is is a big part of um, the appeal of Splunky. And obviously they haven't made that worse. That's still in there. If you want to replay the same thing you did before, you can do that. 
but I'd love them to to lean into it and make that sort of you know just a really nice quick menu to just jump into the thing you want to play for variety. It does like the quick restart drops you back at the end of the level, so you can make a make the choice again if you do want to switch from from one to the other yeah, but i true. always because i'm at the end of a level i always sort of feel like oh, really what i should do at this point is try and climb back up through the level i'm on right now to get some gold like it feels like the the the, the, the most it's not efficient way to play but sometimes you you immediately enter world two from choosing one and there's a shop right there and you think well i was just on a level that technically had a bunch <laughs> of stuff on it above me if i had spent the time to go collect that gold but that doesn't feel like a quick start at that point because what i want to do is a quick start of world two not <laughs> awkwardly yeah. try and get a bunch of stuff um so there's a kind of awkwardness to it i i'm less convinced or less happy with the the world now being two layers where there are doors that um take you into a different space that is sort of behind the main level but still part of the same level so the timer remains the same um and if you take too long a ghost is going to come like can enemies use those doors no no but they can be waiting directly outside one of those doors (laughs) with no way for you to know that they're there as you exit from one side to the other it does seem that you do get like a little grace period of invincibility when you come out of a door so if you if you just sort of peg it to the right then even if you touch some stuff in the way it will forgive you for that but it's still pretty harsh at times yeah i've had a couple of times where i've exited one of those doors and there's been like a mini boss and a bat (laughs) directly outside and i don't know in that situation how i would escape um, (laughs) without taking some damage um, yeah it's strange it's got some weird little rules to it like the the key in the chest in the mines you could take the key through the doors but you can't take the chest through the doors so if you find the chest first it's just sort of an extra level of inconvenience to to get back up to it yeah i do appreciate that it gives them more space within levels for doing interesting things with the the level design with the geometry without having to bury things underground or I don't I don't know like there's a I feel like it does give them flexibility which is useful in in some of the secret stuff that they've added um, and stuff like the moon challenge and that sort of thing Um, but there are costs to it that are slightly inelegant for me yeah Hmm. other distances this is a stupid question uh, but other other (laughs) distances when you go into one of these kind of behind spaces is it sort of TARDIS-like? Can you walk a few feet and go through a door and you're just somewhere else? Like the old no. kind of Super Mario 2. It's exactly the same. It's just the, the same space. Yeah, it's one-to-one. One. Right, okay. Because they that's useful at times because one nice thing about it is when you're in the back world, whatever it is, even if you're just in there to like, you know, um, help yourself to Yang's treasure, so to speak, <laughs> um, <laughs> you uh, can glimpse the other the other rooms that are also in the back world basically um so uh you might just notice you know if you're looking for the if you're hoping to find the chest because you've got the key to get the um the world one secret then uh you might glimpse the chest room while you're uh, in some other um back room and not only do you know it's on this level but you can you can see roughly where it is and then come back out and make your way to that and there's there's some cool stuff with like um for instance the black market is a back room now and so it's possible to glimpse that when you're in the the back of um uh, another level and sort of i haven't done this oh no i technically 
So I've been to the black market only once. Um, I'm sort of, for spoilers, I'm assuming it's okay to talk about things that are returning from Spelunky 1. Um, yeah, let's and... say yes. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to have um, to delete this entire conversation. <laughs> um, uh, it's I, the only time I've been to the black market in Spelunky 2 where I actually found it by accident. I just happened to have bombed the right part of the level and, and the door opened. Um, but you can also see that it's there uh, just from, um, uh, yeah, just going into some other back room and, and glimpsing it that way. There's some, uh, the, the fun of it, when you're talking about it feeling fresh and it being like exploring, you know, that feeling of excitement and discovery that you had from Splunky One, I'm mostly not getting that from the normal levels, like things like Volcano, I don't know, it's mostly just hell again. Um, and jungle is obviously jungle again. <laughs> and there's not, a, there, there are there are some cool differences, but um, uh, for the most part, the newness of the regular levels has not been enough to be really exciting to me, especially because most of the newness is threats and not, and not uh, you know, new abilities and new uh, items. Well, there are some of those, but they haven't been sort of, they haven't played a major role in my, my experience so far. Um, but the new secrets are definitely very um, uh, exciting to me. And that is, that's kind of my main quest is just discovering those. I'm not really trying to get as far as I can in the game. Like I have a, a shortcut to, uh, I don't even know what to call it. I guess the third area, the third significant area, it's actually four one, but then it leads to five one. <laughs> I don't know. The number yeah, is really weird, weird because <laughs> whole chapters are, 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 are reserved for single levels and stuff. Anyway, the third significant area um, I have a shortcut to that and if I want to get as far as possible in the game I should just start there because I have a much better chance of making it to the next world than I do starting from the beginning because I'm not good at any of the worlds yet um, so really a, a late world is is not significantly harder to me than uh, the early worlds because they're all unfamiliar um, and I could just be doing that to get as far as I can in the game but actually I'm more interested in like I glimpsed a secret in that world that I, it, there's no point in me starting there because to I'm my theory about what I need for that secret depends on something earlier in the game. So I've got to start from the beginning. Um, and I think part of the fun of that is sort of trying to theorize about the logic of it. Like, oh, I saw this item and that item thematically has something to do with the other item. I bet if I brought it over here, there would be some interaction there. And I don't know what it is and I don't know what it's going to lead to, but that's a theory I want to test now. Um, and yeah, discovering that stuff is really cool. Figuring out that... Um, uh, Again, I don't. I won't spoil anything specific. Just the fact that the Ojet Eye has a purpose in the other world too is is really cool. Um, and I'm curious whether it's going to be. Uh, so, because there's two different world twos and there's two different let's call it area threes. Um, I wonder if the secret from world two is only of use in the returning world three. And the secret from the new world two is only of use in the returning uh, in the new world three, if that makes any sense. Like, is it two distinct chains of secrets that all lead to each other, or can you crisscross? Like, if can you do hmm. jungle world two and then do the new world three, and would whatever you get from jungle world two, um, you know, have some relevance there as well, so that there's like different ways to combine these secrets? That would be really cool if that's true. I feel like it's probably going to be all of the above <laughs> like my sense <laughs> is that this thing is just stuffed with secrets and obviously there was there was a bunch in spelunky one and enough that were that were difficult enough to discover that it took the community quite a long time to do some of them um 
but it feels like this game being in part built for people who've just got really good at Spelunky 1, part of that is just giving them a ton, a ton of secrets um, that it's going to take a while for the community to even find or work out that they're there. I'm assuming there's going to be a bunch of stuff like based around particular items and carrying them from the beginning of the game to the end of the game or to hard to reach places later in the game and all this sort of stuff. Um, basically, I'm assuming it's packed with things that I'm never going to do myself. <laughs> uh, I'm just eventually going to cave and watch them on a stream somewhere. Yeah, that makes me um, uh, wish that... Because all the secrets I know about require you to start from World 1. Um I kind of wish there were two world ones. Like that's the only one that doesn't have an alternate version at the moment. And that's the one you're going to spend, you know, probably 80% of my Spelunky 2 time is going to be spent in world one because you have to start there for any of these significant runs and you're going to die a lot. <laughs> and so you'll just be like, play a shitload of world one. And so if you just, if you're going to have alternatives, it feels like that's the most important world to have an alternative for. As somebody who's not good at Spelunky 1, is this a game I should play at all? No. <laughs> it seems like it's okay. <laughs> I don't think so. And that's that's kind of why I'm annoyed um, about the moles thing. Is it such a harsh beginning? Like it's the it's the nastiest thing in all of Splunky for me. Like it's the most sort of aggressive, pressuring, um, hostile thing. And it's right there in world one. And so I have friends who are like, oh, should I get, get into it? And I'm like, honestly, I can't really recommend it because it's just going to be so mean to you right from the off. And a lot of my friends who didn't get into Splunky 1 tried it and it was just kind of, it wasn't like it was never going to click for them. It was just a bit too harsh. It was just very unforgiving. And for those people, no, definitely don't play Splunky 2. It's way harsher. Mm. I would say, I see, I kind of disagree with Tom. I say give it a go. Like, I think the modes are, they do make it harder, but you can jump over them and move that <laughs> oh, fast. Oh, shit, what? <laughs> <laughs> they don't move that fast. You can you can whip them as they run towards you. Can and you kill them they, with a whip? Yeah, I think Eventually. you've got to hit them three times. You've got to, they just and, take three points of damage. Yeah, and, and the usual thing, like you've got to wait for them to wake up and then hit them again. And of course, there's a yeah. window there of like, if you do it too soon, it won't count. And if you do it too late, then they've hit you already. Um, and they're also... <laughs> another thing about moles <laughs> um, part six uh, they when they're underground they're somewhat hard to spot they're, like there is a, a visual clue and it's not um, uh, you know it's noticeable if you're looking for it but you have to be looking for it all the time and it can be in the ceiling they can jump out of the ceiling at you they can jump out of the side of a wall at you they can just be coming from anywhere and so even knowing that that's what I'm looking for and even though there's a sound effect as well and I play with music off, I'm as alert to this as I can be, I still frequently just miss them. I just didn't even know there's a molness level and suddenly it's jumped out of the ceiling and hit me already. I think there's counterbalances to this because like moles, they'll hit you once, maybe twice, and then they'll go back underground. So you probably won't die Three, to them four the times, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> you probably would die to them the first time you encounter them. Um, and then like on the turkey level, that's two, three turkeys if you want to try and steal yangs that you can bomb and get a free health point. Well, it's not a free health point because it's going to cost you a bomb. But you, <laughs> and two you know, turkeys. You, yeah, you could, you, could, you could put two turkeys together and use one bomb, or two <laughs> birds with one bomb. Uh, and that's, that's two health points. And, so that, and those are easier to get than to picking up a pug wherever it is and carrying it towards the exit. So like there are new ways of getting health in, in the mines. And there's also stuff like the is, it the... is it the tiki traps that have the spikes coming out of them? Or are they spike traps? <laughs> um, <not really> spunky. <laughs> 
normally in Spelunky 1, there's these little towers that have spikes that come out of the side of them, but now in World 1, those are like boxing gloves, and they don't kill you in one, one hit. Like, they remove mm. the, the... How generous! <laughs> they t- I think they t- still take off two health points when they punch you, yeah. over, but they, they punch you out of their range so they won't hit you a second time unless there's like nowhere for you to go. Um, and so like they've taken away one of the like, kind of instant kill things from from Splunky One's minds. Agreed, those things are kinder than um, than the Tiki Traps, but the Tiki Traps were in World 2. They were the one of the nastiest things about jungle in Splunky One, and now they're in World 1, which is you know, meant to be your easing in. That's true. <laughs> I've forgotten that. <laughs> I, I was shocked that they do 2 damage, because they look so padded. It's like a nice little cushion they're hitting you with. I just assumed <laughs> yeah. they did 1 damage for ages, and I finally got hit by 1. The time I got hit by one, I had nine health and I lost eight of it <laughs> in one move. <laughs> I got hit by three different dart traps, one of hit, which hit me on a rebound, and I landed on a punch trap, which then took off two more health, and I, I got away with one health. <laughs> I do feel like dart traps are harder to see now than they were before. I'm sure I'll get used to it, the, the way they, the kind of texture on them, but I, I miss them in the environment much more than I did in Spelunky 1 by the end, after I'd played that game for 12 years anyway. And hmm. like we haven't <laughs> mentioned the the lizard guys at all. Are they yeah, lizards? they're pretty nasty. Yeah, they yeah. kind of... They, if they see you, they turn, roll into a ball and roll towards you, and they're quite fast, and they will, if they hit you, often kind of punch you along in front of them, and then hit you again. And so yeah, I, that, I have that really been sucks. hit by a lizard and then just been hit four times in a row and lost all of my health basically <laughs> to, a, to a single fucking lizard guy. Um, so I, I guess I dislike those more than I dislike moles. <laughs> I used to hate them both equally. And then I got better. So I agree that's that's super harsh and, and just feels kind of unfair that after they hit you, you know, you don't have any control over what happens after that. So um, the repeated hits are, are a jerk move. Um, but now my curve with those is much more what I expect from a, from a nasty new Spelunky enemy, which is at first they seem impossible. I'm like, what the hell am I supposed to do about this? And then sort of, you know, uh, 50 attempts later, I sort of have a handle on them and I basically, I know exactly when they aggro, um, and so I can avoid aggroing them until I'm ready to deal with them. And if I ever do aggro them, um, unexpectedly or without meaning to, I always understand why it happened and sort of what I could have done to avoid it. Whereas that's my other issue with moles part seven. <laughs> so, uh, they, I, they must have a non-aggro and an aggro state, but it's not clearly signaled to me. And I don't really know what I'm doing. I mean, obviously I'm landing on the ground and they, they presumably like sense that or something, but you, everything else in Splunky is sort of lying in wait and I see it ahead of time. And then I figure out, okay, I, I can avoid that or I can get the jump on it or I can be protected from it in some way. And uh, those are just like always burrowing, <laughs> no, no chill. <laughs> I think you'll like moles more in another couple of weeks. <laughs> I think you'll find a strategy for them and get to grips with them and be like, yeah, they're okay. Mole apologists. I, you'll never hear me say moles are okay on this podcast. <laughs> but I mean, you are right that I will get more familiar with them and I'll get better at dealing with them and learning like certain techniques i will say a sort of flip side to this is i hate them so much that every way i can make them suffer or die is a sweet (laughs) pleasure to me (laughs) like i will just i'll go so far out my way just to like bait them into like burrowing out of a wall in such a way that they just land in a pit of spikes (laughs) i'm much more aggravated by the new liquid physics 
where it used to oh, be really? that if if you bombed uh, a something that contained liquid whether it was water or lava the liquids would sort of just vanish and lower down to the level the highest level of the wall was around it if that makes sense mm. whereas now now it just spreads around and so on the fucking volcano lava world lava will just regularly spread about the place in such a way that there is no way for me to do anything other than jump into the lava and kill myself and even if I manage to pull off like a really tricky jump and throw a rope into the air and then land back on safety, and now I've got this rope that I'm going to climb on. Oh no! Wait, the lava has set the rope on fire, oh, and God, it just yeah. like a fuse, <laughs> like a fuse, just goes up in flames. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. So there's just literally nothing I can do from my position. Um, and there are like there are. Uh, I can't say that because it's a spoiler, but basically you will, there's lots of things in, in that level where you're going to destroy terrain or there are creatures that are going to also spread the lava around in ways that it's really easy to end up getting killed by it. You know, on top of the fact that there's fucking still the flame assholes that jump out of the lava and then walk around. Oh like yeah, little, yeah. Little blobs. So you still get those for a bit. <laughs> uh. I, so I haven't played Volcano as much as you have, I think, because I've mostly been going jungle. Um, and I, I did love the look of the physics. Like when you, it's very satisfying to blow up a chunk of a, a lava pool and just watch it ooze out because it's not fast water physics; it's lava, so it goes slowly and kind of drips over stuff. Um, and that's very fun to watch and quite satisfying to just kind of wreck a level in that way. Uh, but yeah, it does kind of lead to some straight up impossible situations. If you throw a bomb into lava, does it detonate? The second it hits the surface. Yes. Instantly explodes. Mm. That's also a problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gravity is a problem in general in Spelunky, obviously. <laughs> but um, lava and gravity. <laughs> when you're just walking. I've had a couple of instances where I'd just be walking along a surface and somewhere above me, off screen, a lava thing would just come and fall on my head, basically. Uh, that sucks. And for, for, for reasons I don't know, because whatever caused that lava to spill out was maybe a thing I did a minute and a half previously, and it's just been slowly oozing. Its <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, there's another world that has more water and uses fluid physics to play with that, and that is is quite fun. There's sort of gates you can open, and that will you know have the water pour out of one place and fill into another place, and you can keep pushing blocks around and opening and closing gates to try and kind of puzzle that out. I think it's not quite, it is cool and I enjoy playing with it. Um, but it feels to me like a couple of pre-made puzzles that are inserted into the procedural levels. It doesn't feel like it's sort of generating, you know, novel water, emergent water puzzles th through that, which would be cool if they could pull that off. But um, I can see why it's just, uh, tricky to make that happen the thing i have in those water levels is i don't know where the exit is in them past a certain point i don't know <laughs> if that's just that's me being dim um but i just keep i mean this is a fucking banal conversation to listen to because i'm not going to say <laughs> what it is because <laughs> it would, would be a spoiler um but i just keep dying at the same point because i can't find the way out of the level it seems like the door is maybe hidden maybe underwater i don't know I also can't answer that without spoiling what the fuck you know. <laughs> we should do a spoiler cast at some point. Uh, some things I wrote down uh, that I like that are new. Uh, the ghost jar is really cool. The jar that 
Mm. When you break it, the ghost comes immediately, but it's got a diamond in it. And the ghost has got a diamond in it. No, sorry, the jar has got a diamond in it, and breaking the jar summons the ghost. Oh yeah, that makes much more sense. I don't know why I thought it was the other. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, uh, like the the hubris trap they uh, are laying for you is, you see that at the start of the level, and you think, okay, well, I don't want to break it now, but I could just pick it up and take it with me, and I'm sure it won't break along along the way. Because <laughs> <And, laughs> I I do know all of the re- all of the reasons a jar can break. Like uh, jars have been a thing in Splunky for a long time. I'm intimately familiar with everything that does and doesn't break them, and so I know all the rules. And yet, yes, almost every time it breaks within like one floor and I've got 75% of the level left and the ghost is already here. I'm just like, oh shit, why did I do this for $5,000? It's, it's, it's an extremely fragile jar, I feel like. Like if you put it down from any height whatsoever, it will instantly smash. <laughs> it's also like, I don't think the helping hands will pick it up unless you've picked it up first. I think if you pick it up ah. and set it down, maybe the helping hands will sometimes pick it up again. I've definitely had instances where it's ended up in the hands of a helping hand, and that is just like at that point you may as well just start running for the exit because it's, <laughs> it's going to be seconds before they smash it. Yeah, it is nice that they can pick up gold for you now, though. So presumably he could pick up mm. the diamond for you. That is true. I've I've noticed that if the helping hand picks up something that you want, like you want to get it off them. Uh, one way you can indicate that to them is you can just pick them up <laughs> and they kind of get the hint and they put the thing down, which is really cute. <laughs> like, oh, I see, I see. You're going to have this boomerang one way or the other, huh? <laughs> <laughs> They're much better at navigating now, but still on Volcana, they will just, like sometimes I arrive on a level and I've got two helping hands with me and then six seconds later, both of them have just jumped directly to <laughs> yeah, the lever yeah. and died. <laughs> they, they do not so, deal well with Volcana. Uh, another creaky thing they do is, and this is a classic AI thing where like what they're doing makes perfect sense, but a human normally wouldn't do it, which is that, you know, this, the mantra of like always carry something in Splunky still applies here and they will try and follow that. They'll, you know, they almost, if they, as soon as they see a skull, they pick up a skull. Uh, they love to carry skulls. But the thing that, um, that they do that I typically don't do, even though I know I should be carrying something is they'll pick up a corpse, like a, a tribesman corpse. And that those are big and they basically completely obscure the helping hand and so instead you've just got this like dead tribesman following you around and jumping around after you <laughs> it looks really freaky the best is when they pick up their dead other helping hand their dead <laughs> oh no <laughs> <laughs> they throw it at things how do you feel about the camp um which is like what they now refer to the actually i don't know what it was called before um but the kind of menu screen where you choose which tunnel mm. to go down or whether to start on or one which now has the characters that you've rescued walking around on it and yeah it, it, it expands not just with the tunnels but with like bedrooms for them it seems quite thin <laughs> like yes <laughs> it's not it's not not very there's not a lot of content there you can walk up to the people and you can press rb and they'll say a line of dialogue usually just one line of dialogue that they'll then repeat forever and none of the rooms that they sleep in have any like i don't know i'm not i I mean i'm not i don't really care because i'm not looking for environmental storytelling (laughs) from spelunky really but the bedrooms are all just the same and like they all just look the same as each other and so the fact that it adds more of them it's like, okay, they've dug new rooms for themselves, but 
why there doesn't seem to be any reason to actually go in those rooms and look at them, or at least not one that I've found so far. Yeah, I had the same reaction, which is like, oh, cool, they made it into like a home base, and there's all these people that have their bedrooms, and they're all presumably unique bedrooms. Nope. Uh, well, presumably I can keep talking to them, they say different stuff. Nope. <laughs> they all say the same. They say the same thing as they said last time, um, and it feel, feels almost like a. A promise unfulfilled like you know why you sort of suggest you're going to do this if you're not going to go uh, big with it what i would like is if there was just a last supper style banquet table <laughs> and all of the people you've rescued <laughs> just get added to that and it becomes like an increasingly the table just keeps extending you know as you rescue like 25 people <laughs> i would be up for that i would be up for like some sort of i don't know it feels like there should be some sort of system where you can find items in the dungeon that you then send back to the overworld and there's a kind of like oh, yeah, nice. decision decision making thing there where you're you know like giving an item to Mamatano, you know means you don't have it for that run anymore but it's going to help you later there should be more choices like that surely to link these two um yeah, yeah i was right. um one thing that uh, sort of eventually wore thin with Splunky one for me was like i need to know what I'm trying to do with this run like early on you're trying to finish the game and then eventually once you know about hell you try and get to hell and finish that and that kept me going for you know years and years and then when I finally beat hell some of the wind kind of went out of the whole thing for me because I no longer had interesting things to aim for and it wasn't just that I'd done everything it, it was just that there's only two things to do just complete it normally or complete it with hell and obviously there is more secrets beyond that but that once you get beyond that it becomes just uh completely dice roll, well, not, sorry not completely dice roll dependent but you it is dice roll dependent you do need to get the right rng to be able to do anything more more adventurous than that uh, and to some extent you need the right rng to do hell as well there's some, there are some seeds that just make it almost impossible um and one thing i've liked about splunky 2 um and the early experience is all these shortcut requirements a they're much more reasonable this time uh, early on at least and B, I just like having a run where that's my goal. I'm just trying to get, you know, make sure I have a weapon when I reach the mm. end of World 2 and stuff like that. And those little sub goals were really a really nice way to vary it. And I still have those because I haven't learned all the shortcuts now, but the, the next shortcut requirements are just absurd. They're just like things that are going to be an absolute hell to do. Um, and yeah, I just like that more of that in general. Just like give me little sub goals. Just try and in this life, try and, you know, eat three turkeys <laughs> or like uh, bring this item to this world and stuff like that. Yeah, I feel like as I get, got more familiar with Splunk, Splunky 1, you kind of discover those sub goals as you go through, as you see what the RNG is giving you. So like if you stumble across the shortcut to the kind of alien level then suddenly well now my sub goal is to go there get to the top blow up the guy and and get the the, the plasma cannon or whatever that's at the top of that mm. um or if you're on a snake level it's like oh cool i'm gonna go get a matic and that's gonna like shape my the rest of my run because now i'm gonna have this matic for the next few levels because i don't have that knowledge of spelunky 2 those sorts of things don't emerge i start on a level and i'm like oh i don't know what's on this level i don't know where to go to get the item i don't know where things are hidden yet well enough other than like the uji um which has become like a sub goal at the moment because you know you you we sort of touched on it there's a there's a thing that you you can get from world one that you can take to world two that lets you do a thing there <laughs> um and so like i just did a bunch of runs last night that that was just my goal was to start at the beginning get that thing and take it to world two and do that over and over again 
Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting deeper into it and discovering more of these secrets and stuff like that. I guess maybe that as we do, there'll be less that we can talk about here because you know it gets into spoiler territory. But maybe one day we should do like a, a dedicated spoiler cast where we just you know let it all out. <laughs> Definitely, I'd be well up for that. I think in another like few weeks we'd have more than enough to talk about. Shall we do questions from questions? Yes. Yeah. Let us help ourselves to the treasures <laughs> of the question bucket <laughs> the question bucket uh joe writes in to say dear i have been holding off and asking a question until i could think of a good opening and four years later i'm asking anyway because new normal my wonderful <laughs> wife and i have recently been playing the glorious cleanup uh and tidying simulator house flipper we've been having a lot of fun she uses her artistic eye to sort out all the interior design and layouts, and I get to clean the windows and dust the cobwebs. It's great. She's previously barely played any games at all, but given 2020, I think it's been a joy to spend a Sunday doing something completely new, particularly during lockdown. I've tried to look up good games to play as a couple, but all I find being recommended online are proper multiplayer games, which isn't quite what I'm looking for. Rather than playing them together in that sense, we've enjoyed sitting together and discussing what we're going to do and then doing it together over the course of a lazy Sunday afternoon. If you know what I'm getting at, do you have any other suggestions of games that are ideal to play together, but not actually a multiplayer game? You're all awesome. Thanks for all the amazing chitter-chatter you've done over the years. Joe? Yeah, the first one that sprung to my mind was um, Spiritfarer, which I talked about before, which is um, a game about sort of like building a houseboat to um, keep spirits happy before they move on to the next life. Um and you gather resources and, and sort of craft things and stuff and decide where, where people's houses should go. But it has the way it does co-op is kind of neat, which is if you do have another controller, then um, the other player is just your cat. <laughs> so it doesn't sort of like introduce a new character or anything. And your cat is sort of can already help with a lot of the mini games and stuff that, that you play. And so it's, it's definitely like a secondary role, but it's just a nice way to sort of be somewhat involved. Um, and then also... Uh, I once ran her story at, as like a murder mystery night for my family. Uh, I having played it through before and they having no knowledge of it. Um, and that was a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, just in, in general, like uh, th those kinds of games, probably Outer Wilds would be good to play together as well and discussing what you learn as you learn it. If it's interior design your partner likes, I would suggest The Sims which, you know, is maybe the most the world's most obvious suggestion. Um, but it is entirely about interior design. And you can play it by simulating little people's lives and sending them to work. But I don't. I just turn on cheats and install a bunch of mods and spend some time decorating nice houses. Um, and that can be a relaxing thing to do alongside someone else, arguing over the wallpaper, much as you might do in your actual lives. <laughs> Yeah, I think any information game would be a good good call, as Tom says. I don't know. Although maybe there isn't the same sort of compartmentalization of, of responsibility that's possible in um, in the house flipper scenario. But I still think that sitting together and sort of, you know, because any game that generates large numbers of physical real world notation where you're writing down names and trying to remember who's who, um, I think that, that, could, uh, that could be more easily cracked with two brains and one controller than it could be one with one so yeah that could be nice 
the Oberdin maybe, or any of the, the Frogwares Sherlock games, although they're a bit janky. Um, maybe that's uh, maybe those would be fun. I don't know. Emil writes, Dear Wrench and Keycard, a lot of stealth games have bank levels, which are quite often the best level in the game. I especially love Hitman 2's bank in New York and Deus Ex Mankind Divided's bank in Prague. The bank levels in Dishonored Death of the Outsider and Splinter Cell Chaos Theory are also very good. Why are bank levels so good? And which is your favourite? Cheers, Emil. I agree. Um, <laughs> and predictably. Uh, and yeah, when this topic came out, the first two I thought of were Mankind Divided and Dishonored Death of the Outsider. Um, Mankind Divided I really liked uh, because it's definitely the highlight of that, that whole game uh, for me. And it's just... I don't think I even needed to be there. <laughs> you just walk into this space and there's it's huge and there's loads of different kind of sections to it and there's a vault. And so, of course, you want to get into the vault. And um, yeah, it's just, it's there's so much to it and it's structured in a way that's very logical. I think part of, maybe part of the reason that banks are, are lend themselves to this kind of level is there's a very um, logical and recognizable and understandable uh, logic to them in that there's going to be a place where all the really valuable stuff is kept and that is going to be very, very high security. And then there's going to be a public area, which is probably safe to be in and um, gives you time to walk around and plan. And then there's going to be this kind of intermediate space of like this kind of staff area where, you know, it's not like under lock and key, but you're not allowed there if you don't work there. And so it naturally provides this kind of nice gradation of, of you know, in each phase you're kind of figuring out how to get into the next one like how do i get into the staff area without anyone seeing me and in the case of hitman obviously it's going to be a matter of disguises but in um deus ex it's um crawling through vents and um figuring out a way to do that and then uh in mankind divided i remember doing a lot of like you know scouring the upstairs offices to find the right key or password or something that would get me the information about this and then that unlocks you know a, a secret button that when i press it opens the back wall of this office and then that lets me get do something to, that relates to the vault um i think and i also, skipped the bank altogether oh no <laughs> <laughs> we actually funnily enough the other day i was re-reading because we created a, a little uh, spelunky chat channel in our um discord uh, i was looking at other channels we created in that discord and one was for mankind divided which is um i've forgotten we ever did that and yeah our whole discussion there me you and alex um at least were all talking about the stuff we missed from each other's playthrough. Like you were, talk you were talking about the Eliza Kassan plot that I completely missed. Uh, we were both talking about the hypnotist plot, which Alex completely missed. <laughs> now it turns out you missed the bank. <laughs> I, I knew it was there. I just think um, I think I'd, I'd just put it off as a low priority. And then I maybe, maybe I did do it, but I, don't, I think I either did it late when for some reason it, the challenge became trivial in some way or... Uh, or I just didn't do it at all because I just have no memory of it. I remember, but I remember there being a bank and me avoiding dealing with the whole vault situation for a long time. <laughs> yeah. What was the what is the the, the bank level in um, Death of the Outsider? I haven't played that. It's well, it's a bank, uh, <laughs> but the cool thing about it is that um, there are kind of three different approaches to doing it, and oh, there's some special reward or acknowledgement for the ways you can do it because one of them is it's possible to flood the whole place with gas um and uh you can i think maybe you're being offered different 
incentives to do it. Like one person wants you to do it without harming anybody and somebody wants you to do it in a different way. Um, but it's unusual in that the, the knockout gas doesn't count as takedowns, I think. So you can sort of get a, you can technically ghost it that way. Like you can, um, on your record, it will say you didn't take anybody out because all you did was just make everybody very tired for a while. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I can't really remember. Oh yeah, that's it. One of the other mission givers wants you to kill everyone in the bank, <laughs> like murder everybody. So they're polar opposite play styles and um, both have their own rewards. And I don't really remember much about the structure of the level itself, except a certain elevator going uh, down into the vault. Um, but I think it was just a good example of that game incentivizing different play styles because a problem Dishonored has had in the past is is sort of either openly uh, forcing you or pushing you or sort of cajoling you into doing the, this one play style where you don't kill anybody and and then making that play style not as fun as the other one um or just sort of quietly judging you for it you know the way that the end level screen is always tutting you a bit if you're ever seen by anybody or if you ever killed anybody um and also in that those games um it was often famously hard not to let somebody die like if an unconscious person slid an inch down a um a sloped surface, they would die from the fall and stuff like that. Um, or they get eaten by rats. Um, and so this was a nice break from that where it's like it actually celebrated different play styles and said, look, if you want to do it this complete polar opposite way, uh, the ethics of that are very questionable, but the uh, the gameplay virtue of it is is evident. Yeah. Is it is it an open bank? Is it currently day and being used by civilians? I can't remember. That one is... it's. It must have been more recent than Mankind Divided, but for some reason it's quite hazy in my memory as to what the actual space looked like once you're in it. Um, I remember everything about the street outside. <laughs> it's the Carmageddon corner of <laughs> my mind. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I can't really remember the interior level, whereas Mankind Divided, I really remember that bank very well because it had these beautiful um, like hanging ornaments in the center of the lobby, I think, that kind of undulated it was made of all these individual plates that would sort of move up and down in a very like um relaxing pattern um and a lot about that place was beautifully built and rendered um i remember noticing that on the table on the boardroom table uh if you move so that the light catches it just right you can see the like cloth marks from when it was last cleaned like those catch the light slightly differently to the uh, to the rest of it i think the um i'm pretty sure the splinter cell bank is not. I mean, I, I don't. This is uh, Splinter Cell Chaos Theory came out before there was really any kind of ability to have large numbers of NPCs milling around. So I, I, I suspect yeah. it was a, a nighttime infiltration. Yeah, um, it was. I still think it has a certain resonance, even though it doesn't really play with that uh, that gradation of of uh, permission um, that you were talking about. Where, yeah, that's where true. Which spaces are civilian and which are forbidden but I, I think because because those rules are just so imprinted onto uh those spaces and usually the kind of architecture of those spaces uh is is so distinctive that maybe it still sort of has that kind of resonance of of uh of being being somewhere it's probably the banks are probably the most familiar public space that we regularly enter which has a forbidden <laughs> aspects to it right <laughs> yeah i mean uh Although I wonder if that's going to be true for um, coming generations, because bank going to physical banks is kind of a thing of a past, really. 
Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of it is just the fantasy of it. Just robbing a bank is is a thing that is very we're very familiar with, and it's sort of you know very cool if you pull it off in a in a stylish way. And the the chaos theory level that was also a very long time ago. I do remember how it opened though. You you rappel down on a rope into the, like a, yeah. an area that would have been public during the day. I think it's like a teller area, but it was at night. Um, and I also remember. I think I have a screenshot of that moment because. You're talking to Grimm's daughter on the the comms, and I don't know what you say before that, but her reply is, "You are old, Sam." <laughs> and so I have a screenshot of that that <laughs> subtitle on the screen, just out of context. Good bank, good banks, all of those top banks. <laughs> Do you have any feelings about banks, Grim? No, I was just thinking that now all places are forbidden on the indoors in some way in an age of mm. COVID. So <laughs> it's drifting away. It was also like, I mean, I, I I reviewed Deus Ex, Mankind Divided, and like you left the bank till the last minute, um, at which point I just desperately wanted to complete the game so I could write the review by the deadline I had. And so the bank was just this stressful nightmare of like running through it, <laughs> trying like ignoring all the NPCs and the baddies and just trying to cheese it and ah, getting frustrated. <laughs> it was really just the worst experience I could have given myself oh, no. for that bit of the game. Um because I'd already done everything else at that point, and then it was just like this. I don't even think you need to get into the vault. I think there's just like something on a computer I needed to hack in order to, mm. to do the very last bit of the game. Um, don't know. Well, those uh, were all the questions that we have time for. If you'd like to send us a question, you can do so at questions at Crate and Crowbar. You can tweet us at Crate and Crowbar. Um, all of these recordings are uploaded as videos to YouTube, and you can find other nonsense uh, by us there. The address for that is youtube.com slash crowbar. Uh, our Patreon is patreon.com slash crowbar. Thanks, as always, to our Patreon backers. Uh, and our Discord community, which is deeply wonderful, can be found via a link on our website, which is crowbar.com. That is it. I've been Marsh Davis. I've been Tom Francis. And I've been Graham Smith. Fuck moles. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck moles indeed. I love moles. Thanks for listening. <laughs>